0: The scripture for today is from the book of Galatians, chapter three, verses one through 14. Before we read the word of God, we pray, because as that song just said, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Without him, we are powerless to understand the word of God, but with the power of Christ in us, we pray that we will gain some wisdom from his word. Let's pray. Father, would you quiet the distractions in our mind and those in our midst and help us to hear your word. Open our hearts and our minds to what you want us to learn this morning and be with Matt as he preaches your word. You, Jesus, are our deep and boundless peace. We love you, Lord. Amen. Galatians chapter three, verses one through 14. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by your works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is the word of the Lord.
1: If you're a Christ follower, do you remember when your heart was first warmed to the gospel? Do you remember when in your mind you believed that you were accepted in Christ? You knew, like your emotions even were aware that you were found in him. I hope that you do. If you're not uh, a follower of Christ and you're considering Those are the promises that Paul is alluding to in verse one of this old letter when he's reminding the Galatians about when they came to faith. It was apparently very, very passionate and real because they didn't witness the resurrection. So in chapter three when he says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified, he's not talking about the historic event of the crucifix. He's talking about the Galatians' experience coming to faith in Jesus, an experience that was of their mind and of their emotions when they put their faith in him. And now they're turning to a different faith. And we talked about this last week um, because uh, of the text for, sort of forced it on us. Um, it's an odd letter. If the gospel is not true, if God doesn't exist, there's, there's no reason to read and study this letter. Um, Because we have to unpack the problems that were happening in this group of churches—Galatia is not a city, it's a group of churches—in order to then learn from it. And that's just a waste of our time. Unless this is God-breathed Scripture. Unless these problems are problems that we can have also. And most importantly, when noticing these problems, we're free from what comes with them, which is nullifying the grace of God in our own lives, chapter two, verse 21. And then throughout the whole book of Galatians, fracturing community. If we don't learn the lessons that Paul is teaching them, we will harm one another, and the grace of Jesus won't be gone from us, but its power will not be alive in us. When you knew that you were loved, was it because you performed a religious ceremony? When your heart was warmed to the gospel, is it because you did some religious duty? Those things are good, they're designed by God to affirm, to comfort, to convict us. We have participated in just the last 40 minutes and 30 seconds in so many ordinary means of grace designed to comfort and convict and affirm our faith, the songs are good for our hearts and minds. The prayer is good for our hearts and minds. Getting to know one another is good, but they don't save. And when we, when we come to rely on them, and this is an internal thing that becomes something that, that is externally evident, when we rely on any kind of ceremony or activity, we're starting to nullify the power of the gospel. Even the extraordinary things given to us, baptism and the Lord's Supper, do not save. And when we expect them to, whether it's a move of mind or we listen to someone else, we're like, that does sound convincing, that we must do this in addition to trusting Christ. We have lost the actual gospel. That is why Paul is livid. He asks six rhetorical questions. And by the end, I think whoever had to read this letter to the Galatian churches was tired and felt sort of emotionally taxed. Foolish Galatians, that is a strong word. Who has bewitched you? They didn't have the TV show, friends. He's saying, what pagan teacher has led you to a different gospel than Faith is by hearing and trusting Jesus, and that's it. Let me ask you only this, and then he proceeds to ask several more questions. Did you catch that? In, chapter, in verse 2, he says, only this, and then he asks more and more questions, the same way that we understand that verse 1 is a metaphor for them receiving faith in Jesus. And the teachers were apparently teaching that it's not only that your faith is not complete until you add these religious ceremonies, they were also teaching that that's how you grow, that's how you mature in faith. This is one of the reasons I'm so thankful for um, Presbyterian heritage, because they take questions like the ones Paul's getting at and dozens of scriptures and unpack how do we grow? The theological, one of the theological words for growth is sanctification. How do we grow up in faith? Well, we get to participate with the Spirit, but where's the energy? It's not from us. That's what Paul's getting at in verse 3. It's the same energy that saved us from a deathly life that resurrected us, Galatians 2.20. Now, we get to participate in that. What an honor. When you're tempted this week to sin... I was very, very tempted to lie to my wife a few weeks ago about a scrub brush that I ruined. I left my grill basket on the grill, so it was a greasy mess. I was cleaning it somewhat effectively, and I just destroyed this wire brush. And she's not even in the house. And I'm like, I'm trying to clean the brush. Now I'm cleaning the cleaning. And we have other ones. I'm over worrying about it already. And I take a breath and I'm like, When she comes in, if she sees the brush, I need to tell her I ruined the scrub brush, do we have another one? I was like, I could throw it away, I could clean it. In that moment, I'm participating with the Spirit by choosing to avoid the temptation to hide the scrub brush. But where's the power to do that? It's the Holy Spirit, not me. Do I get to participate with it? Yes, is that such an honor to participate with the Spirit in my own growth in maturity? And I know none of you are ever tempted to hide from the truth, but I am. And I need the Holy Spirit not only to save me and give me life, but to grow me up. We receive the Spirit and we grow. The Galatians were suffering. Verse 4, he says, Did you suffer so many things in vain, if it was indeed in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? There's a lot going on there. But first of all, let me be super clear. The Galatians were suffering in ways we can't relate to, mostly, because it was illegal to say Jesus is Lord. You were supposed to say Caesar is Lord, not anything else is Lord. And they were being uh, persecuted in their towns. I think the Galatians were so fired up. I think they bought the big foam finger for Jesus. I think everyone could tell that their lives were different, mostly because it was a group of people of different status, ethnicity, nationality, and gender who were only united by faith. They looked really weird to the people around them because none of those things mattered anymore. They were suffering. And the miracle that Paul's talking about is loving one another regardless of difference in social status. Learning to be spiritual friends with one another regardless of ethnicity. Learning to treat one another as equal regardless of gender, which was wild in the first century. It's still a miracle today, but it was even more obvious then. The miracles, loving one another regardless of nationality. In chapter, at the end of chapter 5, Paul describes it as not looking up or down at one another. And I'm not, I'm not uh, setting aside all the other miracles that scripture talks about. But if you read Galatians, what does the text tell us indirectly that the miracle is? The miracle is them doing friendship with one another without envying, looking up, or condescending looking down at one another. That's the miracle that was happening here. And what was eroding that miracle and eroding people's faith, what what Paul calls nullifying faith in chapter two, verse twenty one, was believing that the good news is, yeah, trust Jesus and you're not a full Christian or a mature Christian until you learn these ceremonies days, seasons, um, receive—yeah, I'm just going to leave that because we talked about it enough last week, and we're going to have to talk about it next week and the week after. And what erodes is one of the most precious gifts of the gospel. Paul alludes to it here Part of the reason that Meg used Ephesians 2 for the Lectio is Ephesians is in many ways like the positive version of Galatians because the problems in the Ephesian church were different than the Galatian church. Galatians is so negative, but don't miss the promises even as they're couched in negative language. Here's the promise Follower of Christ, your suffering is not in vain. What a lovely promise. Those of you that have heard me preach before, you know I get pretty fired up about this. I don't know how fired up I'm going to get. I get pretty fired up in the first service. Just... And I, the reason is um, both because it's, it's one of the great blessings of the gospel, but also because people proclaiming the name of Jesus get this wrong in a way that leads people away from Jesus. Very similar in teaching to those that were upsetting the Galatians. They'll say things like, everything happens for a reason. Do you know what I hate about that statement? And this is going to sound semantic to some of you. I don't care. You can go get your MDiv. I'll let you preach a sermon. You can say what you want to say then. Here's what I hate about that statement. The word a because it terrorizes people that have suffered because they're waiting for the one thing. The promises of God are bigger and broader and longer and more far-reaching than that. What has happened to you is not in vain, and it is part of God's greater purpose, and it does have purpose. I was sitting with Lynn Schonhart this week, and we were talking about... Um, My experience being treated for cancer and she said part of the reason that happened to you was for us and Lynn and I are very good friends. So it didn't even sting when she said it and I said yep Now if you tell me that's the only reason that that happened well, we're gonna have a little talk And if you tell me I'm supposed to be happy about that, we're gonna have a different little talk But I'm so thankful to know That that's not in vain and here Paul reminding the Galatians, even as they were confused about the gospel, that their suffering is not in vain, and neither is yours. It's caught up into the purposes of God. promise is not that it will go away. Yeah, on Tuesday, I had a whole idea of how I was going to preach this, and I changed my mind. That's where the slide came from. Well, since we got the slide now, I said, have you ever watched um, Parliament in England? Like, they'll, somebody will say something and the people that disagree, what do they do? Nay! No! Like, they just get really lively. Is the promise that your suffering will go away? Oh, nay. This is why I shouldn't have done it. <laughs> but thank, thank you for those who participated. The promise is that it's kept into God's purpose for the world, for you, for those you interact with. It does have purpose, and most specifically, it is not in vain. We receive the Spirit and grow as blessed children. The teachers that had come after Paul that were attempting to convince the Galatians of a different gospel were, We're formulating something—we'll have to look at this more next week and the week after— they're formulating something like, see, Jesus came in order to recertify or re-ratify the promises of Abraham. And of course, all those promises are still in place, but that is not what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to atone for sin and free us, among other things, from thinking that we could save ourselves through religious practice, and so here Paul's quoting the Old Testament masterfully. There are two verses in the entire 39 books of the Old Testament that reference uh, righteousness and faith in the same verse, and Paul references both of them, because he really knew his Bible. Genesis 15, 6, and Habakkuk 2, 4. This is the ultimate Jewish convert proof text, because Abraham was not a Jew, and he received by faith. Of course he didn't receive by the law, the law didn't exist. So Paul is upending the argument of the people that were saying, you've trusted Jesus, that's great, you'll be a full Christian whenever you learn to practice these religious ceremonies by using their own texts against them. So then, those who are of faith are blessed Along with Abraham, the man of faith. Not because of status, not because of religious performance or ceremony, but because of Jesus. And he says, of faith and by faith, many, many times faith is trust in Jesus, not in ourselves. Faith is trust in Jesus, not even in a specific uh, practice of trust and then it is thankfulness, and then obedience. It's not, I trust Jesus, now my life needs to look this way. I trust Jesus, and I'm trusting him not only to save me, but to grow me. And humility is an essential component of this. It's all over the scriptures that, in receiving Christ, we become children and that's humbling to us and that's part of life of faith. Without humility, I would say one has not actually received the gift of Jesus Christ. And therefore is not enjoying his father heart. And we, there are reasons that humility is elusive for us. It's our own stories of our childhood. It's um, our pride and coping mechanisms. And yet, the scriptures over and over again, directly and indirectly, say if you have received the gift of Christ, one of the ways that's evidenced in you is receive as a child. We receive the Spirit and grow as blessed children through faith. Paul's gonna quote Deuteronomy and Leviticus that the law is does have purpose. It is a blessing to us, but not at all to save us. That's verses 10 and 12. He's reminding the Galatians, and I'm attempting to remind you, do you remember when you knew that Jesus was yours and you were his? Do you remember it with your emotions and with your mind? Your growth comes from the same power that pursued you in love there. One of the gifts of that gift, which is Jesus, is that your suffering is not in vain. We receive that in a childlike way. One of the reasons this is so essential for us friends is we have lots of things we're convicted about, religious and otherwise. And um, the first sermon in the series that Nathan preached, he encouraged us to examine our convictions. And when we don't, we can start stating to the world things that are not essential to the gospel. In my conversation with Lynn after we talked about um, purposes in suffering. We were talking about the things we're convicted of. I think if she, she gave two examples, maybe three. I can only remember two of them. One was politics and one is the way we parent. Hold those a little bit loosely. Whatever your political persuasion is, can you say something positive about the other side and negative about your own? If you can't, there's a problem First of all, there's potential idolatry there. But also, um, you're starting to consider it an essential, and the way that that will nullify the grace of God in your life is you'll start to rely on that. And this goes for parenting style, or all sorts of other things that we're convicted about. We need to be able to speak positively about those who we disagree with, negatively even about our own convictions, and that's a way of living our faith out in the world. And by the way, I don't actually see this as a huge problem in this community of faith. Sometimes people will say to me, I think I realize like what you're doing here at the church. I'm like, I hope that what I'm doing is leading us all through the scriptures and in worshiping a triune God. Now, there are things that uh, I'm more passionate about than others, and that's oftentimes what people are talking about. I'm not preaching Galatians to you because I think this church is in dire need of the same correction of the Galatian church. I'm preaching Galatians because I believe this is God-breathed Scripture, and we do have things to learn from it. So when I talk about holding our convictions, or being willing to examine our convictions, be they about parenting, or about politics, or about something related to money— It's not because I think it's a great problem here, but it's because it's something that Christians do, because if we don't, our community can begin to look like Jesus plus living this way, and that's not the miracle of radical inclusion, regardless of nationality, ethnicity, gender, or social status. We receive the Spirit and grow as blessed children through faith that is trust in Jesus and thankfulness and then in obedience to him. That is the good news and there is no other. Would you pray with me? Father, we trust you in your heart for us. And we ask um, that you help us to trust you quickly this week, easily, with our minds and emotions and our very being. Jesus, we are so thankful that you atoned for us, receiving the curse for us and standing in our place to justify us. Holy Spirit, we praise you for saving us and trust you to continue growing and maturing us. Amen.